0: All right, let's test your audio. So for different chefs, we asked them to name five of something. So for Jacques Pepin, we had him name five fresh herbs and Jonathan Waxman, it was five of his favorite farmer's market ingredients, things like that. So for you, why don't you name five of your favorite seasonal ingredients right now?
1: Oh, pumpkin seed, oil, squash, Biscoff crumbs, (laughs) (laughs) blood oranges and beans.
0: Love it. All right. You sound good. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. I'm Cappy, and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's Culinary Operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Five years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community, hence the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or, like the chefs we feature, make a difference in your community. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is brought to you by our friends at Graduate Hotels. Each Graduate Hotel has a unique design inspired by its local college, various campus legends, and the town's history. So you can think things like Dolly Parton artwork in Nashville, or an exact replica of Michael
2: Jordan's UNC dorm room in Chapel Hill. Cappy, we've talked about this. I do want to see that Michael Jordan's replica room. I do too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds super cool.
2: But something we will see is live episodes of us from Graduate Hotels, which I'm super excited about. You'll be doing some of these interviews there in their lobby, restaurant areas. I can't wait to see because we've been working with them. And that one coming up in Chicago in the new year here, which you'll promote on social, won't you?
0: I will. Graduate Evanston coming up towards the end of January. That will be awesome. I'm really excited for that.
2: And then we're going to go out west to see uh, one of the properties out west, which I can't wait to do a live uh, episode at their other location out west or another one of their locations, I should say.
0: New West Coast graduate Palo Alto. That's right
2: new location coming.
0: Also, everybody, we've mentioned how graduate has become an incredible partner to the communities where they're located in. And it makes a lot of sense to be talking about graduate hotels given today's episode guests. Graduate happens to be a partner with the LeBron James Family Foundation. LeBron has his I Promise School in Akron and graduate built them the I Promise Village to provide transitional housing for students and their families. I'll actually put a link to that I Promise Village in the episode notes for you all. If you want to learn more about graduate hotels go to graduatehotels.com and follow them on instagram at graduate hotels graduate we thank you one more thing we have some awesome beyond the plate merch you can find a link in your podcast player or go to our website beyond the head on over and check out our hats tees hoodies and more again that's beyond the enjoy this week's episode Today's guest was born and raised in New Jersey, spent time in Napa, and then on to some well-respected restaurants in Aspen like Ajax Tavern, D19, and more. She then made her way to Miami and now resides in Los Angeles. Her highly-reviewed restaurant in Miami, MC Kitchen, caught the attention of the Miami Heat, making her restaurant a regular post-game stop for much of the roster, so maybe reviews do matter. (laughs) This eventually led to her current position as the private chef for LeBron James and his family. She's committed to using her expertise for good by her participation in various culinary related events, including work with the LeBron James Family Foundation's I Promise Village in Akron, Ohio. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Chef Dina Marino. Howdy, Chef.
1: Howdy. Howdy. Ciao.
0: I'm super excited to chat with you. You're, I think you're the first private chef we've had on, which is pretty exciting, but that wasn't your whole career. So excited to dive into that a little more. But when I see you post things on Instagram, I'm so intrigued because there's seasonal cooking and then there's like seasonal cooking. Cooking, (laughs) meaning ingredients that are literally like grown seasonally, but then given who you cook for, like you probably have to cook certain ways during the basketball season. So you give new meaning to cooking seasonally. I imagine you always have to be on your toes given seasons.
1: (laughs) Yes. I was taught seasonal cooking way, way, way back in Napa when I first got out of culinary school from my mentor, Michael Kirillo. So Napa was definitely the first place where I really, really cooked and learned how to cook. And being there, learning the vineyard, learning farmer's markets, learning garden, that's how he was taught by his family, being from basically the same part of Italy as my family is from. That's cool. And it was really, really eye-opening and really understood what a Real chef was. I went to culinary school. I went to CIA and then did my internship in Atlantic City at Caesar's Palace. So that was pretty eye opening as well. And I loved it. It was fast paced. And I saw a bunch of things too that you don't learn in culinary school. School's amazing, but they teach you what they need to teach you. So I always tell young chefs right now you know, you can go to school, but make sure you work in a real restaurant with real chefs before you think you wanna be a chef.
0: yeah, totally. I think it's really
1: important. So back to Napa, sorry, no, you're I jumped around you're a good. little bit. When I got there, he was all about making every single ingredient. We made prosciutto, we made salami, we made brisola. We were one of the first restaurants to make fresh mozzarella to order. Like when the ticket came in, we were making heirloom tomatoes. Who knew what heirloom tomatoes were? This was back in 95, 96. So that's what really taught me about everything. Using the grapes in the vineyard outside and making jam. And we used to make our own tomato paste out in the vineyard. He would... Throw down some plywood boards on those horses, those wooden things, and lay them out. And we would take the fresh tomatoes and put it out there. And each shift, one of the cooks was, you know, assigned to doing that out there and going to scrape it and dry it in the sun. So, yeah, legit. That that was seasonal cooking. So I just fell in love with doing it and learning about it and knowing that was the right way to cook. So. From then on, I focused on that depending on where I was. So after that, going to Aspen, he sent me to Ajax Tavern, which was his restaurant, and- I didn't realize that, okay. Mm -hmm. Same restaurant group, that's how I ended up out there. He said, you're going to Aspen. And I was like, what? He's like, trust me, you're going to Aspen. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what happened 13 years later, we were in Aspen. That's
0: wild. Okay, so I wanna go Back, back, even before that, as I was mentioning, first private chef we've had on here, James Gang aside, sorry, y'all. I'm curious, let's go back to Jersey before we get into any nitty gritty. Let's go back to New Jersey. Take us back to like when you were a little girl, like what was little Dina's house like in New Jersey?
1: Grew up grandparents, definitely every day, every holiday, Italian, American, but Italian. My great grandparents were from Italy. Same thing. My grandmother made sauce every week. She made every cake, every pastry, pasta from scratch.
0: Were you into it? Like when you were a kid, did you care about it?
1: I think partially I cared. I was still a kid, but we were always in the kitchen. So if she was watching us, we were sitting on the counter while she was making sauce or meatballs or sausage. And we were always like, what's that? Why are you doing that? We laugh now, but everything revolved around food. Olive oil on your skin chamomile on your eye the whole nine so did
0: you have siblings
1: no i'm only a child
0: and mom and dad both work both
1: work yep hard working very hard that's definitely where i got that from thank god
0: Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's, that's funny
1: <laughs> did
0: mom and dad cook too mom
1: mom cooked yeah
0: when did you start helping or did you start helping
1: yeah probably i want to say 10 8 10 in that 12 and then school. I know that they don't have it now, but the educational part of sewing and cooking and all of that in school, Home Ec, definitely took Home Ec as much as I could when it was available to us. And I had a really great teacher. I can never remember her name though. And she just knew, I felt like she knew all kinds of things. And she's the one that kind of taught. me and my friend, Brian, we were in the same class and he actually went to the Culinary Institute with me as well. But she taught us about cooking and that a chef was a job and that there was such a thing because I didn't know that. And then we went and checked it out together. Both of our families were close and it was amazing. I mean, the property's gorgeous. It was everything that she said it was going to be. And I don't really remember how she knew so much about it, but we fell in love with it.
0: You went from high school straight to CIA.
1: Straight to CIA. Yeah, I wasn't even old enough to drink in the wines class because I was like young in my class. It was pretty funny.
0: I feel like if maybe this is a rumor, but at least when I was there, I remember apparently that was the only room in the state of New York where it was legal to taste wine or something. Am I making that up? I swear I heard that. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) So did you work in any kitchen at all during high school or no? You just kind of went straight to CIA?
1: I did. My uncle worked. He had restaurants and he worked in a family owned and operated like an Italian restaurant. And I kind of hung out with him and made salads and garlic bread and that station that was in there like that and did that. But I, around the corner from my house was an ice cream shop. And I feel like they were definitely way ahead of the time then because everything, they made the ice cream, they made the base, they made every ingredient that went into the ice cream. So we would make cookies we would make brownies we would make everything that got folded into the ice cream and we actually made the ice cream start to finish and it was a really popular place in a small small town and just being in that environment as well and it was so busy we were always in the weeds (laughs) always in the ice cream shop and just being in that environment as well kind of made me fall in love with food
0: that's cool I don't know your take on this specifically because I hear many different female chefs have different takes on it. But being a female cook when you started, unfortunately, in some instances now too, isn't necessarily a walk in the park. So I guess you became serious about cooking you, from this home at class in high school. Were mom and dad supportive of going to culinary school?
1: Yes. They, I think they didn't know. Also, the same information that I didn't about that it was really such a thing until they saw it. But, yeah, they were super supportive as long as I was happy. Because there's
0: only like a few women in your class. Am I right?
1: I think we had four. And it's pretty funny because I kind of still talk through social media to a few of them. But we, yeah, there was like four of us out of, it was like we were in blocks. I think of like 30, maybe. So, four blocks were one class, like one graduating class. So, yeah, there was like one or two maybe in each block. If I remember correctly, it was very limited.
0: So, I think I had the same curriculum as you because I was there in 2000 or something like that but right when I was there is when they started to change it like they went away from the block system which I love that like three-week blocks or whatever it was but they were starting to change that what was the plan after culinary school did you know or did you have one
1: I didn't know or what did you wind up doing so out of culinary school I went back home and went back to Caesars because the chef was really really great of the entire property and I got along with them very well and they were there for like a long time and then I needed to get out of New Jersey. I was in like Tom's River, Fork and River area. So small, like definitely Jersey Shore. And I remember talking to my uncle who moved or who lived in San Rafael by San Francisco. And he said to me, why don't you come and visit? I've never been to the West Coast before. So I took a trip out there, but the book... I was reading a book. Do you remember those books? I think it was called Cullen Art. And it was like way back when there was like a volume of them and they were hardcover, kind of skinny. There was one on Michael at Trevenia and I couldn't believe what he was doing. And I asked him, if I came there, could we take a ride to that restaurant? And he was like, of course, it's only an hour, 45 minutes from me. So we did. And that was the end of the story. That was it. So we ate there and we walked around, and I actually saw him in this Cantonetta type of situation that he has. It was like a little store market. And my uncle was like, Isn't that him, the chef? Because <laughs> everybody knew. And I said, Yes. He's like, Well, why don't you go talk to him? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. He was like, Just go talk to him. So I asked him, I did go talk to him, and I asked him if he had, like, availability that, you know, you can stage or hang out or work just to see the kitchen. And he said, yeah. So the next day, I went back and worked. And I stayed. I was only supposed to stay, like, a few hours. I stayed all day, all night. It was so busy. He didn't care. He just put you to work. And my uncle kept calling me and was like, are you done? Are you done? I was like, no, a little longer, a little longer. Because it was crazy. It was like a cult, we used to call it. And it was pretty amazing. So he said to me, I remember, like, what are you doing? Where do you live? What's what's your plan? What's going on? I said, I don't know. I'm supposed to go back to New Jersey next week. He said, why don't you call me tomorrow? And if you can come back and work again. And I was like, okay. So I told my uncle, we were staying up there. And he was like, well, if you want to go back. Long story short, at the end of that day, I did stay all night. He said, Do you want a job? Like, can you move? And it was only like, I don't know, two weeks later, I moved to Napa to work at Sharina as a cook.
0: Yeah. How long were you there before you went to
1: Aspen? Four and a half years.
0: Four and a half years. And then you go to Aspen to Ajax. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And how long are you at Ajax before you're like, I want to do my own thing? You open your own place after Ajax, right?
1: So Ajax was in the Little Nell Hotel and... They ended up taking the lease back to that restaurant. We created such a niche, like a following. It was pretty amazing. We decided we had such great customers. Someone always wanted to do something. I ended up talking to some of our great customers and they backed us to open our own restaurant. It was pretty amazing. So we ended up staying there for, yeah, it was 13 years. Wow,
0: that's wild. And I saw in Aspen, like a lot of your staff, followed you wherever you went which is always a testament to a great chef do you miss that side of the kitchen
1: I do a little bit it's different it's just different I can cook and do everything like a kitchen sometimes we have events and parties and things like that that I can have staff and it's great but then on the other side, I don't miss when the dishwasher is sick and the cook calls out 15 minutes before and you have 300 on the book and the toilet's overflowing and the sub pump, the grease trap yeah. <laughs> and on and on and on yeah, and on. Every day. So there's definitely different sides to, this, to all the stories. So it's pretty great.
0: Did you have... Like mentoring wise, would you say Michael is a mentor on that side of the kitchen or like as you grew in the industry? Yeah.
1: He was the chef. We had a great chef de cuisine, a great sous chef, executive sous. That place was... It was like an army. I mean, it was insane. The amount of people, the amount of staff, the amount of product, definite boot camp. I wouldn't change it for anything in my whole life.
0: Is that where Charter Oak is now in Napa? Yes. It is. I thought so. Same,
1: same place. Okay.
0: And then how did Miami come about from Aspen?
1: We opened another restaurant. So our lease was up at D19 and we ended up opening another place because all kinds of things and I had a customer who was from Miami, talked me into moving to Miami. Wasn't the best situation, but it always brings you to where you are today. Somehow, something. And ended up moving to Miami to work for this company. We'll just skip over that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then-
0: Like a restaurant group company? A restaurant Okay, group. got it.
1: Yeah. And then I met a friend worked for us at Ajax Tavern in Miami. And she was like, what are you doing here? Just a random day. I said, told her the whole situation that happened. Her husband, now ex-husband, started the Hard Rock Casinos. And she was kind of bored and was willing to do something, help us out or just do something. And she was like, well, why don't we open up our own restaurant? And we did. We ended up opening MC Kitchen.
0: It's still open, right?
1: It's still open. Okay. She has it. Got it. Yeah. It's in the design district. We, it was amazing.
0: When did that open?
1: Oh, what year did we open MC Kitchen? 2012? I think so. And it was great. We won all kinds of awards. We were super busy and just learning Miami seasonal. Same thing. Like we did that in Aspen using, I love to cook with Italian flavors but where we are using the seasonal like bison elk bolognese similar things like that fish that's local there well not really too local in aspen but we did have some nice trout Trout, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things like that and then learning all about miami never lived there before Vacationed not too far from there but little we used to go to fort lauderdale and things like that but never really spent much time in miami it was very interesting
0: I can imagine. Easy. Yeah. And then, okay, so this is where your life takes a little turn of events. Yeah. So the the heat start to frequent the restaurant.
1: She was my partner then, business partner then. She was a basketball fan as well. And she used to go to a lot of the games. And a few games I went with her too. And also, a lot of the team would definitely go out. They love to dine and drink and eat. So we used to get a lot of frequent guests in the restaurant after, and we were very close kind of to the arena. And we would stay open with enough time, so after games, people guests we had a lot of, lo- that restaurant and Aspen, we definitely had a lot, a lot of locals, regular clientele all the time. And it's actually pretty funny how many Aspenites also live in Miami and back and forth. So it was really, it was pretty great how that worked out. And we got to know a lot of the players and the staff and the owners of the Heat. And they used to come in very often. And then I started catering for the plane, the Miami Heat plane, when they would go on the road and just built some great relationships through them over the past five years, four years, whatever it was. And that took me to doing private events for some players. A lot of them was that we had, Thanksgivings, birthdays, team dinners. We used to do a lot in the restaurant, also for big brands and things like that, since where we were located. And... One day.
0: I want to hear like, one day you get a call that's like, LeBron asks who made this bolognese sauce or something like that.
1: <laughs> they, him and his wife used to, Savannah used to come in a lot. She actually worked out down the street at DBC. There was a gym down the street with our good friend David. So we used to cook for them a lot as well. And they used to run in and grab some snacks because we had a Mercado. That was adjacent to the restaurant. It was like a, I don't want to say fast food, but it was like more of a takeout with a lot of healthy food and salads and things like that. So I don't remember exactly what happened, but they asked us to cater something for them. And then all of a sudden they moved back to, he went back to Ohio, to Akron. And when they were there, she had a birthday party. And we used to cater. We went there to cater that the restaurant and a couple of things back and forth we did. And it just happened to be one day we were joking around and talking and she said, you know, what, why can't you be with us full time or something like that? And the story just
0: went on from there.
1: (laughs) It just happened very quickly.
0: (laughs) So did you start cooking for them when they were in Ohio or when they went to LA? Yes.
1: Oh, no Ohio. Did you live in Ohio? We lived in Ohio for a year. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we moved quick. A couple things happened at the restaurant. Just wasn't what it was, wasn't what it was supposed to be. After a few years, my business partner went through some things, personal things, and it just kind of changed and took a turn. It all just happened for the right reason.
0: Yeah, totally. So when you have that opportunity, do you call someone for advice, like a mentor, or a chef friend, or do you just...
1: I talk to a couple different people, family, and you're, you just know in your gut. And I laugh all the time, and I say this: I would never in a million years thought I would not be in a kitchen since I was fourteen, fifteen. I've always been in a kitchen or a restaurant. I didn't even know this existed.
0: Right? I mean, it's a change. You're 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 in like these restaurants that you're helming the kit; they're yours, or so you're helming the kitchen, and like getting. One of them was like top 20 best new restaurant in the country in Esquire. And then you're like top chef in Miami and top restaurant. It's a change. But here you are packing up your family life, making this change, going to Ohio for a year, moving on to L.A. So I guess you don't have to like you're not like I have a couple of friends who are private chefs and they have to like. I want to say audition, but it's not audition. Like, do a ta- taste test, you know? But, like, you were already there. Like, they've had your food hundreds of times.
1: It was really great. Yeah, I didn't have to do any of that because yeah, they've be eaten my food many a times. Yeah. yeah.
0: Can you speak in general? I'm sure plenty of other private chefs for someone listening. Like, how does that happen? Like, in a restaurant, you go in, you stage for a few hours, like you did it with Michael and Napa or for a day, but in the private chef world... I
1: don't really know exactly, but... I have helped a few friends once, it's pretty funny because I feel like once I kind of got into this position, people have asked for other chefs or other people ask me for recommendations for private chefs. So I have helped a few people get jobs and they definitely needed to try out. Obviously, if you have never met someone or never ate their food before, you want to know before signing someone on what they can do and, you know, their flavors and how they can cook. And right now, social media is social media. So I can send you any picture of anything off the Internet and say, I made this or I've done this before or whatever it is. So until you see it in real life or meet someone, you have to know you click with the whole dynamic, it's not just cooking. You need to get along with everyone. You're definitely with the family or with the person, you know, many, many hours a day, every day. So it has to be a whole package. And I tell a lot of people that, who ask me for advice. Also, just you do everything on your own. So it's not just you go in, cook, and go home. You have to be prepared to do the whole job. And I think so many young chefs now think it's all about being with a celebrity or something like that, no matter who it is. I'm not just talking about me personally. And they want to be in that spotlight. It's not about that. You still have a big job to do. And you have to work hard and be able to perform to even keep that job or have that job. And I get a lot, a lot of messages every day in my DMs. Oh, how did you do that? Or how I want to be a chef. How can I do it? Or how I want to be a private chef. How can I do it? My first thing is go get a job in a restaurant, a real restaurant, and learn your style of cooking, your flavors, how to shop, how to basically do everything start to finish. You're not just walking in with a chicken breast every day and cooking it and being like, here you go, throwing it on the grill, and here's your dinner. No, it's not about that. So it's pretty interesting, and I love what I do because I'm still cooking every single day how I cook and what I cook, and I'm very, very blessed and grateful to be able to do it for an amazing family who loves to eat.
0: They do. Okay. I was going to say, like, did you know... I guess you knew what you were getting into. You knew they like to eat and you weren't just like making steamed broccoli and a chicken breast every day. No.
1: no. And I I feel like if that was the case, I don't know if I'd be able to do that just from my passion and what I love to do. But it's just like anyone or anything. Everyone probably at some point in time has something that they need or have to have or want. And then not just about that person are.
0: We've touched on this, but like private chef life versus kitchen chef life. I guess I'm curious if you could touch upon some like benefits of one versus the other challenges of one versus the other.
1: Just like I said, kind of in the beginning, not worrying about so many things and especially owning your own business. I mean, if you're a cook or you have a job, I came from all of the above. So being a cook, being a chef, being a sous chef, being a chef, being an owner, there's definitely different things. So I still have crazy responsibility. And I think the person that I am, I take it on myself in a different way anyway. So I'm very responsible. I, even though I might have a day off in my head, I'm still thinking about tomorrow or the next day and what I'm gonna cook and what I'm gonna do and what I need to shop and did I do this and did I do that and making sure even everyone's taken care of anyway. It's just my way, my responsibility and my to myself, because I need to go back to work the next day and do it all over again. Yeah,
0: so. you can't call a chef de cuisine and be like, hey, do we have broccoli in the walk-in? Or,
1: right, or, <laughs> right. <laughs> in the I center. have to remember what's in the walk-in or things like that, so That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Hey everyone, after we stopped recording this episode, Chef and I continued part of the conversation over text, which often happens with our guest. She shared an interesting point that I wanted to share with you all. I quote, being a private chef, you have the same customers every day and night. You don't have the same menu every day and night. So you need to create and impress with something different every day and night. Big difference on how creative you need to be. End quote. I think that's a really interesting and relevant point she makes and I wanted to make sure that that got relayed and shared with you all. But for now, let's take a quick break while we tell you about one of our partners and we'll be right back with Chef Dina Marino. This episode is brought to you by our friends at One Hope Wine. One Hope is a Napa Valley winery built on hope and rooted in purpose. Every bottle of their award-winning wine supports a meaningful cause. One Hope's commitment to high-quality wine is as important as their commitment to the causes they support. Through the sale of every bottle, One Hope has donated over
2: $8 million to causes around the world. I'm a big fan of One Hope Cappy and love now at the front and center of their homepage. It says every purchase now gives 10% back to the cause of your choice. It's a new thing they're doing.
0: It's awesome. You could type in the charity that you want to support and the 10% will go straight to that charity. By the way, let me correct myself. Update here. I actually went on their site and check this out. They've given over $9 million now. And right on the site, it says, Join us on our mission to give back to local and global organizations with 10% of every purchase donating directly to a cause of your choice. With over $9 million donated to date, we continue to change the world one glass at a time. This number just keeps going up, dude. I love it. It really does. To learn more about One Hope Wine, the winery, and to apply to become a winery member, go to onehopewine.com. Follow them on instagram at one hope and on facebook at one hope wine one hope we thank you okay i want i'm curious about process like genuinely curious about process however you feel comfortable mentioning it just for like a minute can you walk us through is there a typical day
1: i go to the store get up go to the store depending on i'm fortunate here in la we have everything so I can pretty much, between farmer's markets, local little stores, big stores, and of course online, and so many producers and farmers that I've met along the way in my career, I can still call my fish guy from 20 years ago and ask him to send me something, or my truffle guy from 12 years ago and ask him to send me something. So that's something I also tell people a lot. Do not burn a bridge. Because especially in our world, it's so small. Oh, gosh, yeah. You never know when you need a favor. No matter if we, a product, travel, a hotel somewhere, you always end up meeting and knowing someone that you've met or you knew or your old cook that's now a chef somewhere and you need a favor in another city. Just anything. Be genuine and never burn a bridge. So going back to the day, <laughs> just looking for product and getting what I need, and I start my day and cook pretty much all day, all night. Clean up and check the garden and see what's coming up on the schedule. But it's still it's still a long day.
0: You're cooking one meal some days and three meals some days, or you know, it range. No,
1: a lot of meals a day.
0: A lo- yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have a family, so everyone has their own schedule in and out and so yeah it's pretty much all day cooking and prepping and stuff for the next day and things like that yeah so it's a normal chef day
0: do you ever make something and then someone's like oh this is good i want it tomorrow or on the flip side do you ever make something where someone's like i don't want this this isn't
1: good um (laughs) by now that's happened one time i'm very very very
0: like in tune very lucky
1: yeah and in tune i think also being an owner of a restaurant and reading people.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that. Not a lot of chefs mention that, but it's so important.
1: It's so important. Just all of that still is in your daily operation. Reading the table, reading people, the weather, mood, all of that still, no matter what, comes into play every day.
0: Do you ever fuck something up and you're like, uh, we're ordering in. Sorry. No, never.
1: (laughs) I'd be working somewhere else. Probably.
0: (laughs) What's a good day. Like, is like if you, when you go home at night, like what's, what makes you feel good or fulfilled? Like from the day,
1: just that everyone was happy and knowing what I did was what I was supposed to do. And yeah, just coming home to my family and knowing everything's good. Everything's okay. And, Tomorrow's tomorrow.
0: Yeah. So in terms of social impact, as I think you know, the podcast celebrates this with every guest because every chef that we speak with kind of does it in a different way. Some of them, it's supporting a certain cause. Some of them, it's a certain organization and they all do it different and it's what keeps us going and inspires us. You kind of had pre-James family days, which you did a lot for the Share Our Strengths of the world and different organizations like that. So I'm curious about that, but I'm also curious now because you get the opportunity to do some work with LeBron James Family Foundation. So can you just kind of touch upon giving back? and?
1: I think even if it's just a little bit of something somewhere, it's important to do that. I tried as a chef in a restaurant, we used to get hit every week for something, some sort of donation, whether it was a foundation or whether it was from a customer and their kids, just anything. So I learned along the way to really do something for some cause that you wholeheartedly believe in and what makes me feel good or giving back and how I can give back. And I really enjoyed doing Share Our Strengths, but I really enjoyed also working with kids if It was teaching them something or giving them a little bit of, I don't know, a lesson of how to do something or what it meant to grow something and how it grew and how then they can cook it or eat it or make it just in general of something of that point. And it also, when I would do it, my son was also kind of fitting into that situation as well because he would eat tomato sauce, but he wouldn't eat a tomato So teaching him how that grew and cooking it into tomato sauce and teaching him it was the same thing or a cucumber that was a pickle, even though it tastes different, it's still the same thing. Just little things like that. And I think that's why also I get a big smile when we're able to go back to Akron and the foundation and seeing those kids and doing Taco Tuesday with them. Just even if it was once or twice is a lot of fun and just making them smile and I know when I was little, and we would sit and eat. And as a family, that's what kind of made us all happy. And food always brings people together. So I think it's important with chefs to be able to give back as much as you can and now trying to work on product seafood and things that are not as sustainable anymore I think is really important as well so hopefully can do stuff like that in the future
0: awesome love that all right let's do a quick speed round and then we'll close it out with one question all right number one what'd you have for dinner last night
1: oh my god chicken pot pie
0: oh, yum name, <laughs> name a smell in the kitchen you love
1: fried rosemary
0: Ooh, name a smell in the kitchen you hate
1: Boiling vinegar.
0: What pisses you off in the kitchen?
1: When people stick their fingers in something that you're cooking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What makes you happy in the kitchen?
1: Watching people eat and smile as they're eating it.
0: Name a go-to snack in your pantry. Oh,
1: shit. Nutella cookies.
0: Nutella cookies? Like you Mm -hmm. make them Nutella cookies? No, No. where are these from?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're called Nutella biscuits. I'm going to have to show you a picture. Oh my gosh,
0: (laughs) send it to me, please. All right, my closing question is, what resources would you recommend for a young female cook that you wish you had or that you did have? Could be a book, could be a website, could be something else.
1: Wow, that's a really good question. Sheesh. (laughs) It's so different now. It has to be... A person now that you look up to that you found that you think you can't talk to or reach out to, but you have to somehow because they can give you a lot of wisdom how to move forward and not be afraid of all the blatant shit that you hear out there right now. And I know it kind of seems rhetorical that everyone says, you know, females, 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 but literally you can do anything that you want to do because I was begging to be a sous chef at Trevinia. There was never a female sous chef there. And I begged for a $22,000 year job to work 20 hours a day just because I knew I could do it and that it would take me further in my career and make my shell harder than it was. And it did. And I did it. I love that. And it was really hard, but you can do whatever you want to do no matter what
0: that's really cool last question i like. what's for dinner tonight
1: i don't know i <laughs> prince street pizza <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because i don't want to cook
0: i feel like there's such good pizza out there right now
1: there is and there isn't didn't what's it um, it's hard Chris Bianco, it's hard but also like pizza. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it's kind of far from where i live is, and t- is
0: it downtown
1: yes and you know, it, you say, "Oh, it's only nine miles." No, it's not only nine miles. Nine miles. miles is it like is an hour and twenty. But minutes. nine <laughs> miles is like fifty minutes, and then you got to wait in line to get the pizza, and then I don't know. I'm gonna have to call somebody. I know <laughs> somewhere. I think Carol Chin. Do you know yeah, her? Yeah, yeah. She's with that group right That's now, funny. and she's out here. But <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And cooking in my kitchen at home is not the same. So
0: Do you want to cook when you go home? I
1: hate cooking at home.
0: I was going to say no. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> awesome. Thank this you. Was fun. I'm glad. This was yeah, a lot of fun. I appreciate it. This was good. I we have such a interesting group of listeners from literally like chef de cuisines at big restaurants I know of. They message me about an episode to culinary school students. And it's super cool mm-hmm. and it's very inspiring for people of all different ages. So I'm excited to you have some great words of wisdom given, you know, what you've accomplished in your career. So I'm glad we were able to talk about it a little bit. Thank you. Yeah,
1: everything comes full circle. It really, really does.
0: Yeah, it's wild.
1: It's pretty amazing. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks again to Chef Dina Marino. Find her on Instagram at dina marino. That's C-H-E-F-D-E-N-A-M-A-R-I-N-O. To learn more about the LeBron James Family Foundation, go to lebronjamesfamilyfoundation.org. We'll share a link to those websites in the episode notes and at BeyondThePlayPodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Cappy's Plate or go to Podcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan-Me. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. And as always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you do have a moment, we'd love and appreciate it if you could rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gym. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.